0: Hello everyone! Welcome to another episode of Straight of Crumpton. I'm here with Greg Crumpton. As always, Greg, how are you today, man? I'm doing great. Really
1: excited to, to uh, be able to talk today. We've got a, a super, uh, a super guy and a and a I'd love to call a 20 year friend uh, on with us. So it's gonna be gonna be a good day.
0: Would he Would he agree to be called a 20 year friend of yours? I hope. I hope so too. I hope so too. Well, who are we talking to today, Greg? Why don't you introduce us to our guest?
1: So today uh, on the podcast, we've got a, a gentleman who for 20 years now I've, I've known, and I was thinking back about it this morning, making notes, and uh, it was either 99 or 2000. Um, I had the pleasure of going to work uh, as a service provider for the company that, that uh, Dave Jones is the, was the CEO of. And uh, we were a startup company, but we were really good in the data center air conditioning infrastructure market. And uh, I think I-, I would like to say, by hard work and a, and a little bit of professionalism, we-, we got an opportunity. And so, Dave, welcome to uh, Straight Out of Crumpton, and uh, glad to have you today.
2: Thank you, Greg. I'm awfully glad to be here. It's always good to talk to you. you now quite a while since you and I have connected other than waving at a meeting or something like that in Charlotte.
1: Well, I, I guess that's a good thing though, because it gives us time to, to reminisce a bit and uh, catch up on the, the, you know, the general nature of what we're doing. And, and we started this podcast, Dave, just to talk mainly about relationships. And, uh, we were talking off the, off the recording, off the air there before we got going that, um, uh, you know, that is what built our what what i i really call it a friendship i mean as crazy as it is with a very successful ceo of a multi i don't know i won't over speculate but a lot of a lot of money company and uh, me being a small startup guy i was always honored to get to uh, share time with you so the relationship piece is, is important uh, i feel like that you have you've always been uh, very open and and being a recipient of whatever craziness I, I had cooked up or uh, mechanically or just, you know, telling the story. I know you and I sat down a few years ago and we, we did a, 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 a little blog piece that uh, we put on Straight out of Crumpton Blog. So it, it means a lot. So uh, I just wanted to kick it off, but can you give us just a bit of your history and how you came to be the co-founder of uh, Fletch Central and, and a little bit of that journey?
2: Sure, I'll try to keep it at a very high level because, um, as you know, I'm not a 30-year-old. I've been around a while, so i um, had some successes and some failures in that that history. But basically, I, I'm originally a Virginian, grew up there, uh, small town. Um, still a small town, but uh, you know, I learned a lot while I was there. I ended up going to the University of Virginia after graduating and from there um, had a Three-year stint in the army, uh, tour of Vietnam, airborne, qualified, etc., and always pretty active from that standpoint. <clears throat> and um, after that, I ended up getting, I guess, a trail through what was I call technology, but it really started out in the telephone industry, um, local telephony, and I grew in that for about seven years. Left there because this was in Tampa, Florida, um, and. Left there because I had married and I wanted to move back to Virginia. I just missed the seasons and the land that I love, I guess, tritely say. Um, ended up working in a regulatory commission there that regulated the telephone industry, which drove through the um, breakup of the Bell system. <clears throat> when that happened, a bunch of startup, long distance entrepreneurial companies began to uh, be birthed, and it ended up I ended up going uh, with one of those companies, taking a huge risk, moving my family from Richmond to Atlanta. And I laughed today because the um, the CEO of the company was a fellow named Gene Gabbard. His right hand was a guy named um, Cam Lanier, who's out of West Point, Georgia. But. Nonetheless, uh, they offered me 5,000 stock options, and I didn't even know what that was. And (laughs) I said, okay, sounds like a good idea. And so we did that. Uh, Fast forward seven years later, we sold the company to MCI back, and that would be in the uh, early 90s. We had grown it to a fairly large company. It was a billion and a half uh, dollar acquisition. I ended up at MCI for about two years, didn't like it, um, had grown up in a small company with a great culture, and I didn't find that present in a large corporate environment. Um, So I left and I um, went to West Point, Georgia of all places and helped start up uh, and run several companies there, uh, some local telephone companies, built a fiber network from Atlanta to Columbus, Georgia, um, doing things I never knew I had the ability to do. Uh, Ultimately, the um, head of that company, Cam Lanier, and I got at odds into the table. He was from there, so he wasn't leaving. Uh, So I was invited to leave. (laughs) I lost my job and um, ended up going into work with a friend that I'd had in the long distance business as a consultant, helping companies get into this thing called the internet. And this would be the late I should say the third quarter of the, of the 1990s. And um, I understood the network side of the business extremely well. I learned a lot about marketing, et cetera, helped several telephone companies uh, leap into the internet, primarily in the Southeast, built a fairly large practice. And the company had been acquired by another consulting firm in Dallas and uh, Austin. They asked me to move to Dallas Um, to run a major part of that business, which I was not interested in doing. I I didn't want to leave the Southeast. Um, So ultimately, um, I continued to work there for a while, but I began to get the idea because I was helping little ISPs um, co-locate in the telephone company central offices and realized that, that, hey, I knew the regulatory side, I knew they didn't have to, that you could have a facility and they would have to provide entrance facilities for you to connect into the network. Um, and I began looking, thinking, hmm, this, this could work. This thing called data centers that I'm beginning to see coming at that's nothing but a, but a central office, basically. And a friend of mine, who's still a very close friend, named Nick Codian showed up one day at my office and he said, I've got an idea. And it turned out I had the same idea. And so we wrote a business plan. And that business plan was ultimately what birthed P-10. And this would be in the 1999 timeframe. Um, we went to an attorney in Charlotte and uh, laid out the plan. We went to an accounting firm, a fellow named Mike McGuire, whom, Greg, you probably know who that is. Um, Mike went on to become the CEO of uh, Grant Thornton.
1: Academy. Yeah, he's done well. <clears throat>
2: yeah. But um, at any rate, um, our attorney said, well, you need to go away and come back with between one and two million dollars before you can start this business because it's very cap- gonna be very capital intensive. So I said, okay, and uh, we went away, came back six weeks later with a commitment for a million and a half, and our attorney about fell out of his chair, <laughs> I couldn't believe it. And he said, how, how did you do that? I said, well, I haven't burned a lot of bridges. Um, and I've made a lot of friends along the way, and those friends believe in me, and they know that the money that they're willing to put up, uh, they have to be able to throw that check in the trash can if it doesn't work. And he said, well, damn. <laughs> okay, and off we went. We um, began, wrote, I, mean, I had the plans pretty much in place, but built our building our first data center in Jacksonville, Florida, We said we need to raise more than a million and a half. So we started uh, another round of financing um, and that's how we got introduced to private equity. But uh, basically, initially we raised another $4 million by the August of that year to build a data center in Charlotte. And at the same time, it took about $4 million to build this data center. We'd raised five and a half we didn't have enough money to to build Charlotte, but uh, we had already started talking to private equity. Ended up Seaport Capital, um, with another private, well, a young private equity firm in Charlotte, Frontier Capital, um, committed eighteen and a half million dollars, and that allowed us to pay everybody in Charlotte because we had basically built the center but couldn't open it because we uh, we hadn't paid them hadn't paid everybody, but um, and uh we closed that on january 15th uh, about four o'clock in the afternoon don't ask me why i remember that because <laughs> if we hadn't closed it you know it was, it was take the money yeah um so made, so that's how we, made, that was a big
1: yeah. big moment in time
2: that's how we got started and um seaport and frontier were primarily made up our board um about two years later uh, nick and, and i were running the company nick left the company And I can continue it on as CEO and ultimately CEO chairman. Sold it twice, uh, sold it in 2010 for 400 million and sold it again in 2014 for 730 million. Along the way, built probably the best management team that I've ever been associated with. And this this points out something that Greg brought up. Uh, Greg and I had a great relationship and probably the reason we had such a, such a successful relationship was Greg understood he did understand relationships, and he knew that he had to to convince a fellow named Jeff Biggs, who was my <laughs> VP of engineering and design, that he was competent that's about all Jeff cared about was not you were competent and um, and he did and um, Jeff gave him the um uh, and you know, anointed him as, as a credible vendor for us or service provider for us.
1: Some people would Greg, call out a colonoscopy.
2: Yeah, well, as Greg could <laughs> Greg test, Jeff was pretty good at giving colonoscopies to anybody who got in his way. But um, the thing was I had built, and everybody would always say, well, how did you happen to, how, what's the key to success? How did you build this company this way? And I said, look, I'm not the smartest guy in the world. I have a BA in economics from the University of Virginia. I'm not an engineer, but what I figured out was how to have about 12 really smart people play well in the sandbox together and how to make that team have the same beliefs and have the same trust in themselves and the people we worked with. And that that really is the story of why that company was so successful. Most of those executives stayed with me for at least 15 years, I would say. And with the last sale, some drifted off to other things, but in most cases, even though they were seeing equity, um, they were getting equity when we did the the 2010 sale, we all did, Um, there were seven people that had at least earned at least a million dollars. One of them left. All the rest said, we wanna keep running. So I had a team that basically someone said one day, if you walked out in the middle of I-85 in the southbound lane and turned to the north and said, we're going north guys, they'd stand behind you and go. And, he, and I said, well, um, I trust them and they trust me. And that sounds like motherhood and apple pie, but that really, when when you talk about this this podcast and how important relationships are, that. That to me is the key to success and leadership. If you know how to cultivate those relationships.
1: Well, Dave, that, that, that um, I, I got a little bit of a cold chill hearing that because uh, having watched it, you know, from this side of the table and yeah. being a provider, um, you know, you, you have those moments like that four o'clock closing that you knew <laughs> you had to, you had to get done. The rest of the world doesn't see that. But what, what I find intriguing and, and while you were telling that story of the journey, there were so many of those moments where it was pivotable and I, I had Griffin George on my mind, but now that you, you corrected me, it yeah. is, it was West Point you were telling me about yeah. Yeah. and the re the, the, I guess the lessons that you walked away with, with that early thing with, with the Lanier and then you know, taking that moment in time and then moving forward and how you built, you know, I call it the foxhole people, you know, the people you yeah. want in the foxhole with you.
2: Yeah.
1: And I'm just curious when you were going through those trials and tribulations of building peak ten and you had that, you know, the three fifty nine before the four o'clock closing, like you looked around and I, I know some of those people in, in that in that yeah. circle with you. And you, you know a lot at, of them. You, you look them in the eye and you go like, all right, boys and girl, we got to get this done. So yeah. what, you know, I just, and then you said trust, you know, and I had trust written down here as uh, my gold standard. And, you know, I think back on bigs and, and, you know, the, the thing for me of uh, receiving your trust and the, and Pete 10's trust and was it, if I had a, a crisis or if you guys had a crisis at 3 a.m., and you called, or you didn't call, but someone called Andy or whoever. Could you go back to sleep knowing that that Erica had the had the problem and it was theirs? And if you couldn't go back to sleep, if it, as long as it wasn't in your job requirement to go in, you know, then I felt like we had done our part of trusting in the relationship. But uh, <clears throat> excuse me, it was just really cool to hear that that journey and how many of those moments involve people you know from that initial million five raise with the friends and family round, and then you know being able to go out and, and raise 18 uh locally that, that's just that that speaks to you and it speaks to the relationships and then the last thing i'll add is um i think that knowing those people that i know they would follow you up i-85 uh either direction at any time of day (laughs) so well done on the leadership front
2: well i uh, i learned a lot of lessons over the course of um 50 years i guess you'd say 40 years of of running into into people but you know one thing you reminded me of is when i left west point the the lesson i learned there was that managing is not about just about managing the people that work for you it's managing the people you work for. And I learned that the hard way because I didn't do a good job of it. And that's what caused the rift. But um, it, it caused me to have a very different perspective. And I used to always tell in fact, I told Jeff Biggs this one time, because he wanted to be a chief. You know, he was an EVP, every title you could have, but he wasn't a chief and he wanted to be CTO. And I said, uh, okay. You're, I'm going to make you CTO, but your number one priority is this thing called cloud. And we are into it now. You need to be all over that. Develop the product and technology and the infrastructure to be able to deliver that. And he was beaming. I said, Jeff, one more thing. A title, going up a ladder and a title requires you to take on more responsibility and give up rights. And he kind of looked at me and said, a title is not an entitlement. The guy who answers the phone at three o'clock in the morning at the service desk has more rights than you. Do you understand what I'm talking about? And he was puzzled, he said, yeah, I think so. And that was something that dawned on me and was one of the things that I always said whenever we promoted someone, I always made sure they understood they had just given up a bunch of rights. And I I looked at him, I said, look, I don't have any rights here. I I have all the responsibility. I'm responsible to make sure you have a job that challenges you. And I said, so think of it that way. Well, it went on and, and Jeff, after six months, to your point, Greg, every time there was a problem at a data center, Jeff would drop, you know this, he would drop everything, hop on a plane and go to Jacksonville, go to Cincinnati, go wherever it was. And guess what was not getting done? Cloud The services. cloud. And I brought him in. I said, Jeff, you're not a CTO. And he looked at me and said, what did I ask you as a primary thing to do? And he kind of looked down he said, develop cloud. And I said, your love is this data center. Your love is the mechanical side of this business. And you have a photographic memory. Smartest, one of the smartest people I've known ever. But you can't do both. And So I gave him another something in his title, but I said, I I can't have you as CTO. He never, never lost a stride. He never backed down. He went right on. Um, And to this day, his love is the technical side of things. But I had made a mistake. I didn't know it, but I made a mistake by getting that title. But at the same time, um, I respected him enough and so much to make sure that he understood why I couldn't keep him there, and he didn't hold that. He, you know, he didn't go off and, and 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 you know stick his nose in the ground about it. And one of the challenges you have as a leader is to understand the individual contributor as well as the millennial who doesn't. You know, you could go all about that, and that's where humility comes in. If you don't have humility, you can't, in essence, put yourself try to put yourself in their shoes, but understand that. That you're not given the leadership capabilities you have because if you unless people respect you and know that they it's the old stat you know we've all heard it um, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care yeah. and that was something that was always important to me and the same thing worked with you Greg I I wanted to know who you were um, you know just know enough about you because you were critical to me. And I needed to know if I needed to call you, that it wasn't going to be that jerk at Peak Ten who's the you <laughs> know I've got to jump through these hoops to get there. I'm going to do it because I know Dave, and he needs my help. He wouldn't call me if I didn't. And that's the way I've always looked at it. So I'm sorry to get on a dissertation, but that's kind of the one of the things that hit me.
1: Well, that that means the the world to me, and I know the the folks that that are. Uh... I will call fortunate or lucky enough to get to listen to this. We'll appreciate it. So, um, you know, I, I, it, it's so freaking touching to hear how like even big Jeff, Jeff, you know, he, he's the guy, he's a tough guy. And, um, to, to be, to listen to you of how you were able to, you know, think through that process and help him stay in the winning position. Um, is is, that that's an awesome story. And, you know, the other side of the coin is, like I said, while ago, when we're on the service side of just being there saying, you know, my job was always to figure out how to say yes, more than how to say no. And I think about people like Ray Capone and the stuff that we built. And, you know, I've, I've got a picture that I've kept for years and years of my, I had this orange watch face. I don't know why I had it, but, um, It was like 1215 in the morning and we were packaging up one of those portable units to send from Charlotte to Raleigh on a record truck. And uh, I remember taking that moment in time on my phone, just taking a picture of that clock saying, you know, this is why we do this. You know, this is why we say yes. This is why you answer the phone at 3 a.m., whatever. Uh, But that's that all goes back to that trust and that relationship. So I get it. it. It's just strong. So. One one thing that stood out in my mind this morning when I was making my notes was, uh, as a you're a bicyclist or or have been and, and yeah for years, um, yeah. I remember you having a riding jersey, and you had a picture and it on your right hip I think of that jersey was my lo- company logo, that's and, right. Uh, I remember how proud I was to be able to help that cause and I, I can't remember what you were writing for but it was it was it, it was to give it given back to somebody and um, i remember how proud i was to be able to say man we we did our little part on that and having that little logo down there was that was a cool story do you do you remember that absolutely i
2: remember it and um I'll, i can follow that up a little bit to tell you that that kit was a kit that i designed and it was um Unique in that it was a gray, uh, blue and orange. Blue and orange are my favorite colors, probably because I went to Virginia. But, Cavaliers, uh, right? Yeah, <laughs> um, and the the main part of that jersey and um, and the the um, pants to it was light gray, and it had the topography of Peak Ten in it. It was it looked like a topographical map. Oh, cool! And I had, it was a peak ten Jersey and and, uh, and bottoms, bibs that they call them. And um, I had them made up for the company and I had, I'm part owner in a bike shop so I was able to do all that at cost. But um, that kit is has been, it, actually it's around the world. A friend of mine, one of the guys that worked in the bike shop, I gave him the kit. He went to Italy to ride with a team over there and had the kit and this guy in Italy liked it so much that he gave it to him and he said so dave sometimes when you are looking somewhere at someone riding in france or italy you don't be surprised <laughs> if you don't see a t10 kit but it and i still have it i still wear it because people i saw a, um, a young lady who's a, a friend of our bike shop that i gave one to i saw her about three weeks ago i didn't know who it was i saw that kit and i said oh my gosh that kit really does look sharp, but yes, your logo is plastered right on the back, um, the back pocket of that jersey, so people people see it, um, and that was well, important to me that you were willing willing to do that.
1: Well, it it meant a lot, and it, it, you know, you you think back as a young company, some of the little things, and you know, we we were we were a small young company back in the day, but there there's one moment that really stands out for me. As a peak 10 moment, and that was the morning of 9 11. Um, I don't mm-hmm. know if, if you were there that day. I was. But we were having the 7 by 24 local chapter meeting in. Upstairs, upstairs that's right.
2: in the space. Yeah, I know. I remember it vividly. David Kent walked in and said. That's,
1: so <laughs> I, I just sent David a postcard uh, last week and just said, hey, I hope you know 2020 is good for you but I, that whole thing went back through my mind. And there's a fellow called uh, Mark Herney who worked at bank of America now at Schneider electric. And Mark was, he was fancy, man. He had a a pager that gave him text, you know, instead of a beeper. And uh, I remember Mark looking at his pager, whispering into David kid's ear and then David saying, Hey, there's, there's been a major incident in New York. And, at the time, of course, Mark had responsibility for, uh, B of A data centers in, in the wow. city. So, uh, that driving home, so we abandoned the meeting, obviously, because people had, you know, other, other needs and other concerns. So we abandoned the meeting, but I remember driving home thinking, you know, how important of a moment that was for us as a as a world as a country as a as an industry before we even knew what it meant you know like you just knew it's going to be big but you didn't know that we weren't going to be able to just walk around the airport at leisure or walk into the office building at leisure there there was all these new regulations that were coming for our own protection based on that one moment in time really so that that stands out for me as a relational moment with with david kidd so that that's i uh, remember
2: it remember it well and and the irony of that is that space was totally taken over by a company out of chicago after 9 11 because they were in the sears tower how about that
1: I, i i i knew that that space went quickly after that but i didn't know who it was so yep Always, yeah. you, we were always guessing as vendors. Like, all right, who is that? You know, who could that be that's taking that, those many cabinets? <laughs> you know, and we were sworn to secrecy if we knew anything, and and uh, NDAs in place, so nobody was talking. But it was uh, it was always our, our guessing game of who it was. But, um, Tyler, do you, how how do you how are you listening to this? And and you hear you know this this freaking awesome journey. Yeah. That, Dave Jones has been on in his life, and how he and I interacted during this period, and which was half of his forty years, uh, <laughs> which is, makes me feel not young. So, um, how do you hear it? What 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 resonates relationally to you out of this conversation?
0: Well, one of the things I've been sitting here thinking about is Dave. You mentioned you know pretty much right off the top that you had just such a great executive team around you, and I guess one of the things that I'm curious about is just that as you uh, built your team, and as you you know found the people that you wanted around you, as you you know started these ventures. What values were you looking for in people, and you know what what really resonated, and what mattered to you as you met various people and decided you know these are going to be, be the people on my team, and these are going to be the people I surround myself with.
2: Well, initially, you know there were two of us, <laughs> then there were three of us, and I, actually I always laugh about this because we hired our CFO um in june of of 2000 so it was really about four months after we formed the company and And, tyler he's a
1: great dude too yeah and
2: he continues to be the cfo of flexential um and he and i are very very close but um the one thing i did as i looked at what our needs were and i was fortunate because we did five acquisitions and through those acquisitions usually uh, the key executives in those companies um, stayed. And that was kind of unique. But with what we were doing, um, all of us were doing kind of the same thing. But every time I, I knew what I needed and I would always look for if it was an engineering talent or a, a IT talent or you know, sales talent, always looking for that. and. When we did it, the markets, uh, each market had an executive running that market that eventually didn't work, but it worked to help form the company because relationships uh, were so important in the in trying to get customers into the data center. Because if you think back then, um, outsourcing your critical infrastructure wasn't just a drop of the hat decision. It was really hard because people didn't want to they were afraid to have it leave the office they were in, that sort of thing. So um, as we grew, um, we had these executives in markets and several of them ended up taking on bigger responsibilities. And I, the reason we were able to do that is I, I saw and we saw how they operated and we knew we could, they could be trusted. We knew they, they were good leaders, et cetera. Um, also, whenever we did hire anyone, I would never, this is not unique. I would never agree to hire someone unless they pass the litmus test of meeting with the other executives hmm. and getting thumbs up from them because, I mean, to Greg's point, we were going to be in the trenches together and this, this is a tough business. Um, and in most cases, you know, most of us had never had experience presenting to a board that was private equity investors, et cetera, and building relationships with private equity. So I had to have executives who had presence, you know, who I knew could stand stand up in front of a crowd without making a complete fool of themselves, like I tended to do sometimes, but also people that weren't um, hesitant to make decisions. Hmm. And that was the one thing I would always look for. And I would tell them, look, this is your job to do. I'm here to support you, but the one thing I can't stand is, and this is sometimes where some people didn't work out, I can't stand for something to be 100% perfect before it's executed. And they would look at me, I said, it's too late. You get to 80%, you want my approval, you got it. I said, if I know you've got 80% of this product or this installation or whatever it is under control, go. Don't wait. For that 20%, because the time you get to 100%, there's gonna be a change. <laughs> and that was something that I looked for uh, in those people. And the other was, I would tell every one of them, I can do your job, hmm. trust me, I can do your job. I can never do it as good as you can do it. But if you need me to do your job, to stand behind you and take over for you, I will do that. And I rarely ever had to do it, but I wanted them i wanted to see the reaction to that because it wasn't a threat it was just let them know that i believe in them um, now i look so, at that
1: as a term of endearment almost yeah
2: yeah yeah greg and i have no. to tell the story i i remembered it um the other day ryan kennedy you know him well right?
1: <laughs> yeah he's probably well. he told you this
2: he's probably told you this i went out and met with him um this is Adam Power and I, I went out and I met with them, and I loved the company and I was at lunch uh, or we were eating lunch there and he said, Dave, you know, the first time I met you? I said, no, I don't know. He said, well, I worked for the power service company. I can't think of their name now. You would know what it is, but um, it was more. A Sunday morning. Yeah, that's what it yeah. was, more. It was a Sunday morning and you'd had a UPS failure in data center number two. Yeah. i said yeah i remember that he said i walked into this um power room and i looked down at the bottom of the ups and there you were with a wrench in your hand <laughs> i said yeah what you probably didn't know is i didn't know what the hell i was doing with the wrench in my hand but i said i was going to be there and he said that told me what kind of leader you were and i said well ryan i mean that's how i did things i i would never that goes to my back to my point i may not do your job well but I'm will not. i never afraid to do any job in that company. And um, that wasn't something I did to make people feel good. I did it because we were in stress. I mean, we had a data center, UPS system was down, and I actually had driven from Athens because I was still cohabiting two places that night because of that outage to be there that morning at six o'clock and they were showing up for the maintenance or whatever. And actually, I think, go back to Jeff Diggs, I think he instilled a little bit of me, uh, of that in me. But I also knew that nothing gets a team behind you more than them knowing that you're there for them. And that's the Absolutely. only way I could
1: do it, was to be there. So anyway, so, so well said. I,
2: I don't know if I answered your question, but I got into a, a tirade there.
1: <laughs> well, you know, I, I think that, that Ryan Kennedy... he's a CEO of Adam Power, which is just a phenomenally uh, strong upstart company that's going to change the world in power distribution. Great Great guy. And uh, so uh, Ryan, who who is the CEO of that company, a fellow called Dennis Carousis, who is the CTO of that company, they both have that same, you know, I'm, I'm going to go in And if I need to put on coveralls and lay on the floor, that's, that's just what we're going to do. And Mm -hmm. I I think that just being there, like you said, and I mean, if it's nothing but bringing a a cooler full of ice water in the summer, you know, just show up, be there.
2: Yeah. The thing you didn't ask this, but I'm, one of the things I'm most proud of somebody asked me in 2016, as we were interviewing people for, for the CEO role, Somebody asked, "What What do you see your legacy at, at this company is?" And the thing with Ryan Kennedy reminded me of it indirectly. I said, "Oh, that's easy." And he looked at me and I said, "What?" And I said, "I always wanted to create an environment that other people would learn and grow and can go do other things. And today there are five executives in other companies that were with me for 10 years. Hmm. So that was my legacy. And what what?" reminded me of it was what i just said about ryan ryan saw that and i have to believe that as he if he remembered that that well those kind of things not intentionally but those kinds of experience teach people what it takes to be a leader and i'm not yeah. saying i'm the greatest one but that those kinds of things matter when if some because the next guy might have said Oh, I was in there too. I didn't know that was Dave Jones or, you know, or the CEO of that company. Hmm. But Ryan got it.
1: Yeah. Well, that's that. what they don't teach you in in graduate or MBA school. Is yeah. You know, when I need to, if I need to get up at two in the morning and be up there at six, that, that's just what I'm going to do. And uh, yeah. I applaud that. So I, I've got two more quickies for you. So I've got written down bicycles people and semi-retirement and philanthropy <laughs> so i had i had four so yeah. is that group of of your your circle of people because of those four you know i guess uh inclusions in your life do, is, is your circle growing or have you tightened the circle up a bit or how, how does that feel now that you're not you know in the day-to-day Crawling up under UPSs with a wrench.
2: It's growing. It's growing like crazy. It's actually. I yeah. told someone. I said, hey, you know, I didn't realize uh, that trying to manage my calendar myself was going to be this difficult. <laughs> <'Cause>, <laughs> so I'm, uh, as you know, I mean, there have been a number of people that will call and say, hey, I'm my and uh, I could name a half a dozen in Charlotte right now, and I don't, I won't, but they said. Um, i run into this problem and I was talking to so-and-so and they said I should call you. Do you have time? I said, absolutely. I absolutely have time. And so I would listen to the problem and generally could say, well, there are two or three ways that I would suggest you go about this. And at least, you know, having that, whether I was right or wrong didn't matter. The fact that I would, it li- was important. I knew it was important that I would listen and give them some suggestions because they're, like you said, they're in the trench. And you can't stop and think. And I come from the outside with a lot of experience. So I do a lot of that. Um, I'm on the board of my own company. I'm actually more involved on the board of two other companies that are going through a significant growth transition. And I get calls a lot from them, which I, I enjoy. Um, and I, I stay involved. in and a lot of things, some neat technology things that I under, don't understand as much about as I'd like to. But um, even in Alpharetta, which is an hour and a half from where I live in Georgia, I've gotten involved as a mentor in Tech Alpharetta, which is part of their, the city's um, uh, accelerator, I guess you would call it. And then mm-hmm. in, in Charlotte with Charlotte Jules, which is another accelerator that I, I love what they do. Um, And so I I stay engaged that way. And you mentioned the people thing. The the thing that that I probably enjoy most is all of those executives that I've worked with, the people that I've rubbed elbows with for years, they're still my personal friends, as well as at least one person in the four private equity uh, investors that we had over the course of time. In fact, one of those private equity firms has me involved with one of their portfolio companies. And that, those relationships that I've built over time, I was fortunate to have, um, have come back in spades. And it, it's actually, if I did everything I had the opportunity to do, I'd, I'd be like you, Greg, I'd be on the road all the time.
0: <laughs>
2: but well, I got I got, I got, got these six chickens I'm trying to raise out here. And I gotta be home <laughs> sometimes.
1: <laughs> well, I, I know, and then you get people like me calling you to kill an hour of your time doing a podcast. So I, I do appreciate how Drop of the hat, how man. in demand Drop of you hat. are. <laughs> well, no,
2: you. listen, it. you know, you know very well that, um, that I, I value your friendship and I value the friendship of so many people that helped us be successful. And that's, I mean, you think about that, go back to peak 10, the reliance, reliance we had on you and, and your company, um, it's critical for us that, I mean, if you I hate to put the pressure on you, but if you had not been able to respond and to understand us, how we operate it, um, there's nothing perfect about a data center. It's always going to have some kind of problem and being able to trust the people that support you. Um, it, that's, that's what it's all about.
1: Well, I, I do appreciate that. And it, it was definitely a mutual feeling and, so I think, um, to, to protect your calendar, um, cause I know it's in high demand that just, I guess in closing, I, I'd like to ask you just one more thing. Um, and, and you can be as succinct or as, as you know, on, onward looking and onward thinking as you want, but if, if you were the king for the day, um, and you could anoint people, a gift of knowledge or being led or taught something. What do you what do you think that your number one thing to people would be to say, "Hey, I'm I'm Dave Jones. I'm I'm I think you're what 58 now, so I'm 58 years old." Yeah, at, and... at
2: almost 20, at almost 20, yet, at 25. Yet. <laughs> no, so, really.
1: what what would that nugget be that you could deliver to uh, a young person or a middle aged person that was like, you know, at at a point where they needed to hear something? What would that something be?
2: Hmm. Um, It's funny you'd ask that because I I keep thinking of things that I want to tell people to do to be better at what they do. And this is something I read a long time ago, but I've I've really come back to it. Um, Actually, I was reading a book on negotiating, negotiating, and um, it came through that so clearly to me. It's a simple thing. Listen intently when you're in a relationship, listen intently. And I I could make it as simple as, I got nailed for this one time. Um, I was in a meeting and actually I read a book about this and it said, you know, listening, you need to listen when people wanna talk to you. And one of the examples it gave of, you know, not spending the time you need to spend. Well, I had an executive in Richmond And I had a flight, like at five o'clock and at two o'clock, he said, Dave, I need to spend some time with you. And my first reaction was, Mark, you know, I got to leave here in an hour, an hour and a half to make my flight. And I said, wait a minute. I need to listen to what he wants to talk to me about. Hmm. And I sat and I missed my flight. And... Those two hours were probably the most valuable lesson to me and valuable to that individual who today, if I called him right now and said, hey, Mark, I'm coming to Richmond. I need to talk to you about a personal problem. He'd say, when are you going to be here? Yeah. And I know it's because I took the time, but the thing is when you're in a relationship, business relationship, whether it's someone working with you, a negotiation on a contract, whatever it is, By listening intently, you have to put yourself in the shoes of the other person and try to understand what are they trying to accomplish. So I've got to listen, to know what that is, to understand how can I walk away from this successful, whether it's a personal thing, whether it's your, this one I've learned had to learn, your wife, um, your daughter-in-law, But you have because there's so many times I want to say but 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 I said no I've got to listen here I've got to really understand may not be my point of view but if you if you can undertake the art of listening intently you would not believe and I'm not as good at as I sound like you would not believe the results well that
1: that's definitely great to hear yeah It's funny because I read a quote yesterday that said um, the word listen and silent have the same letters in them. And if you rearrange them, um, you you can't be uh, silent or you can't listen if you're not silent. So I thought that was pretty, pretty cool. And then for you to tie that in, that's uh, I I guess I I read it at the right time.
2: Yeah, I never realized what that was. But one of the characteristics I always had was not, and you probably have seen this in me is I don't I don't talk a whole lot at first. And I've always, and one of the reasons I don't is because I'm not that smart. And what I'll do is listen to try to understand exactly what's going on before I make an idiot of myself, which I tend to do anyway, <laughs> and say something that doesn't doesn't make any sense. But I learned, <laughs> I think early on, you, you've got to listen, you better listen before you start talking. And then later on, here in the last couple of years, I've realized that listening intently, um, number one, it creates, it prevents you from being looking like an idiot if you listen. And I've been facetious when I say that, but um, no, it, it really, it, it, it is not easy. It's yeah. something and you it really matters. have to cultivate
1: yeah yeah it matters that. to that person that that you are listening to yeah so. it's
2: not a matter well, of just listening it's a matter of listening intent. with purpose that's yeah. It. yeah right
0: right anyway sorry I, I think that's a
1: john Maxwell word if i remember right he's he's all about it may being be intentional yeah, yeah. Mm. well thank you for those uh that, that's that, great now i mean i can sit here now i got 20 more minutes worth of that's <laughs> right off of what you've talked about so
0: no kidding really good
1: stuff and uh much appreciate your time and and your wisdom and your your just life story and you know it's so meaningful if i didn't know you it would be really cool to hear but knowing you and being able to kind of juxtapose real life with what i just heard i'm like you know that that's so cool to 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 be able to kind of track parallel what you're talking about having watched it you know from, from from my vision so thank you for joining us today
2: i, I enjoyed every minute of it and sorry i continue to run my mouth so much but um you touched well on we
1: would be disappointed and that. disheartened if you didn't so thank, <laughs> you for, thank you for the knowledge cool. and Cool. Tyler, you want to send us out with a bang?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, Dave, thank you again. That was uh, absolutely perfect. And Greg, we'll be back uh, with another episode soon. Uh, so everybody, make sure you go subscribe on iTunes and Spotify and all of those good places. And uh, stay tuned for more episodes of Straight Out of Crumpton.